When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The life in the UK test. <sighs> it's something I have to pass in order to continue living in the UK, so it's kind of a big deal. The whole thing has been really difficult, especially as someone who failed history in high school. It's filled with loads of historical questions, specific policies, and so many dates. I can barely remember when my anniversary is, let alone who was in political power in 1802. But after all of the studying and all of the stressing, I passed. Yay! But that was just part one. I passed the test and I had to submit a huge binder full of different forms and bills and proof of address. And after a very, very long wait, I am officially a resident of the UK. For the first time in my life, I truly got an understanding about what real bureaucracy is. Hundreds of sheets of paperwork, banking info, character evaluations. That's a lot of tedious work. And did that make me more British? My guess would be no. What's making me more British is watching Come Dine With Me, grabbing a cheeky Nando's, getting way too into Bake Off, and drinking a lot of tea. I can never pretend to be a full-blown Brit because the Canadian in me is still very strong and always will be. I still say A at the end of my sentences. I love poutine and I will pretty much put maple syrup on anything. What's funny is that now when I'm in Canada, I feel super British. But when I'm in the UK, sometimes I get a little bit homesick. Now I identify with both places and they both contribute to who I am. Identity can be many things, from friends and hobbies to politics and religion, and these things are never really set in stone. I'm finding the issue of identity an interesting issue to explore. My grandpa always used to say he was Pennsylvania Dutch, but my dad is French-Canadian, and he always thought there was a bit of native in our blood. I'm trying to make sense of this, so much so that I actually took a DNA test, but we'll find out more about that later. So there you go. That's the identity soup in my head. Canadian, a bit British, Pennsylvania Dutch, French, and native. Clearly, my identity and who I am is quite the mixture. But I wondered, what is the recipe for an Estée Lalonde? 
you're gonna need a very big sprinkle of cheese curds, a huge glug of maple syrup, leave her to rise in Canada for 19 years, and after a quick internet relationship, you're gonna wanna send her on an American road trip. While on the road trip, you're gonna need to mix in a Patti LaBelle cassette tape that you found at a thrift store, obviously. Oh, a step I totally forgot. You're gonna need a base of a really kick-ass mom. Season with an exceptionally hot boyfriend and a dashing greyhound. And after all that, you need to bake at 19 years old for seven years in the UK. Ding! And there you have it. You have an Estée Lalonde. I'm Estée Lalonde, and welcome to The Heart of It. On this show, I take subjects and explore them through the unique experiences of my guests. This episode, Identity. Who am I? And who are you? How do we even define our own identity? What part of it is nationality? What part of it is heritage? And what is just you? The word identity comes from Latin, meaning the same. But this doesn't seem right when you think about who you really are. I'm the one person in the world who is me. It's kind of scary. In this episode, I'm so lucky to be talking to the amazing Kayla Briet. Kayla comes from a Dutch, Indonesian, Chinese, and Native American background. She's an amazing photographer, filmmaker, and musician. When I first came across her work, I was completely floored and inspired. Her art is this wonderful reflection of someone who is true to their cultural heritage, but has also carved out an identity of her own within it. embraces all sides of her modern nationality while celebrating her rich ancestry. And I just thought she'd be the perfect person to talk to about identity. Hello. Well, hey there, Kayla. Hi. I was like, how can I do like a good intro? (laughs) No, that was perfect. (laughs) I'm so excited to talk to you and I'm so happy you replied to my message because I was like, is she going to Remember me? No. So the first time I'd ever come across Kayla was at a film festival in Toronto called Buffer Festival. She was showing her film Smoke That Travels, and I'd never heard of her or come across her at all. And when it started playing on the screen, I was instantly like glued to it. Everybody was talking about her film afterwards. And then I think it was the next day, she actually came up to me and was like, Estee, hi, I'm Kayla. And I was like, girlfriend I just watched your video and I freaking loved it and we just kind of got to talking we actually took a picture together she was wearing these really cool purple trousers and since then I've been keeping up to date with her first off I want to know how would you identify yourself and what does identity mean to you okay so that's that is the big question and I think whenever I get that question of how do you identify yourself or where do you come from? It's always this question that arises so much panic uh, because it's so hard to 
sort of describe yourself in just a sentence because mm. you're almost like, oh no, well, I grew up here, but I'm actually part of this culture and I grew up with these influences or, oh, well, I do film, but I also do music and I also like to do this thing and this thing. Yeah, I know what you mean by the panic, actually. And until you said it, I hadn't even thought about it. But when someone's like, who are you? Like my first reaction is, oh God, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I, uh, I guess I would say artist with a mixed cultural background. Right. I'd love you to tell me some of your family history because I feel like there's so much to share. So give me a not like a 10 hour rundown of it, but you know. <laughs> tell me okay, the, just, the just one hour. Just one hour. <laughs> no. Um, so on my mother's side, I am Chinese and Dutch Indonesian. I grew up in a multi generational home. So I lived under the roof of my grandparents, my aunts, uncles, my parents. Since my mother is Chinese and Dutch Indonesian, I grew up, you know, learning how to fold dumplings, you know, going to dim sum every weekend with the family. And my father, I am Preband Potawatomi and Ojibwe on his side. So I also grew up going to powwows and hearing a lot of the northern singers and powwow music and learning how to do the traditional dances. It was all a part of how I grew up. How do you possibly navigate that? Like, did you ever, was there like a moment where you were like, my background isn't the same as, say, like the people you went to school with? Like, did did you go to school with people who had as interesting heritage or did you always kind of feel a little bit different? Well, growing up was just really confusing um, <laughs> because I never felt I was ever enough of each thing. So I was never Chinese enough. I was never native enough. I was never Indonesian enough. And I always yearned to be a part of a singular community, but that mm. just wasn't the case. That's interesting. But I don't know. It led me to aspire to be some sort of chameleon where I could kind of connect to different people. Mm. I think everyone has a little bit of chameleon in them. I mean, when I go home to Canada, I find myself getting more and more Canadian as every second goes by. But when I'm in England, I find myself, you know, trying to fit in with the British people and raising my pinky when I'm drinking tea. Not that anyone actually does that here. It's not like you're faking it around some people and not faking it as much around other people. I think it's just different sides of you come out at different times. I mean, Humans are so complex. You can't be everything all at once. Do you think that, like, say, your native side comes out more when you're around your dad's side or, you know, vice versa with your mom's side? Like, do you think you kind of play on different aspects of your heritage at different times? Yeah, I, I really think so. And I feel really comfortable doing that. I also feel very comfortable with just switching between being around the tech community versus the arts community or things like that. And I, I noticed that my language does shift depending on what types of people I'm around. I'm always representing a genuine part of myself and I'm not, I'm not like sacrificing myself or changing myself to fit in with some people, but I'm just trying to be able to relate and make people feel comfortable. And I learned that 
there's a term for that. It's called code switching. Okay. So code switching is a term in linguistics where you actually shift or change your language to uh, better relate to different types of people. And of course, politicians do that. And sometimes they come off as not being genuine. But for people with mixed cultural heritage, it's just a natural part of living. You know, when I'm around my grandma, who's Chinese, I sometimes throw in a few Chinese words here and there. And it's kind of funny how how easily we're able to switch from one one frame to like another. But also sometimes we forget and we just kind of melds together into who we are. So what do you think that says about us and our identity? Do you think that our identity is always changing? Does it stay the same? Will certain things always be the same? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely no expert, but from just my personal experience, I I know that with the many events and histories that make up who we are, we cannot change, but with our identities, of course, just experiencing many different cultures just enriches who we are and enriches how much we could communicate with the world. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, when I moved to the UK, obviously, I and especially London, you know, I met people and I still meet people every day from places that sometimes I'd never even heard of and learning their stories and, you know, the foods that they ate when they were growing up and things like that. It kind of... It just adds to you as a person and that, you know, in turn mm-hmm. changes your identity a little bit and then you can relate to that person. And Yeah, and, and food is such a huge thing, right? Like food is how everyone really connects to each other, if yeah. you know. Yeah, totally. And music too, right? Like if somebody says, oh, I love Drake or whatever, I'm like, I love Drake and I'm from Toronto. <laughs> it's like Whoa. instantly love this person. Instant points. <laughs> Well, obviously, you know, you've spoken about your Native American ancestry and how that part of your identity is kind of starting to disappear over time. Is that something that you thought about growing up at all? Or is it something that you're thinking about more? And how does it make you feel? Yeah, well, I I always grew up being surrounded by a lot of like the traditions and the dances and hearing the stories from my father about what it was like for him growing up and how he learned. I always found the beauties in the culture that I grew up around. I loved the music and the northern style of powwow singers. And when I sing, I think about powwow singers almost. I'm, I'm just influenced by that inherently. And I think of, you know, powerful drum beats, the colors and the movements of dance. I, I'm just really inspired inherently by a lot of these things I grew up around. And I never felt pressure to to preserve something or to hang on to these stories that are so fragile and you know but I'm very confident that there's a like an ember that will last for generations and generations to come it will never be forgotten You know, identities are the entire reasons that we exist. You know, whenever we go online, we want to see ourselves in the people that we watch. We want to see ourselves in the characters that we read in books or watch in movies. And if those characters and if those people aren't there, if our identities aren't even existing in those mediums, then it feels almost as though we don't exist. It's almost like we're denied identity. And there's a saying that when we are denied identity, we cease to exist. And I don't even mean that in a political way. It's just that 
we just want to feel like someone understands where we are coming from and that we are not alone in this experience. Oh, Kayla, I have to say, I could just listen to you talk all day long. <laughs> you well, literally speak like a poem. <laughs> oh, I don't, thank you. I, I hope that all these words. When we think about who we are, we tend to use the phrase, oh, that's just in my DNA. But really, what is in my DNA? So when I sent my results away, I kind of like packaged up this little vial of my saliva and you couldn't eat 30 minutes before. I remember finding it so difficult to find a time where I hadn't eaten 30 minutes before, <laughs> which says a lot more about like my diet than like taking a DNA test, but whatever. Um, so eventually I had, you know, not eaten for 30 minutes. So I took the test and I packaged it all up in this little box and you just put it right in the mailbox I did wonder, like, what happens when it arrives and the scientist just opens up the box and it's like, ooh, there's a vial of someone's spit. I don't want that job. So anyway, I think it took like six weeks to get the results. And I finally got an email and it was like, your DNA results are in. And I was like looking at it, I was like, what the hell? I, was, I thought it was the wrong results. Like, I genuinely was like, that can't be real. I just got my results and I want to share them with you because I'm really surprised. Okay, please share. Okay, please so share. here we go. So mm-hmm. apparently I'm 32% Irish. Had no idea. None whatsoever. <laughs> um, 31% Europe West, which is like Belgium, France, Germany, Switzerland, things like that. 15% Italian and Greek. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> 9%... Great Britain, and 7% Scandinavian, which is crazy. So unfortunately, it's not it's not saying native, but I still feel a connection. <laughs> <laughs> I was so sad and disappointed that I did not have any native Canadian in me. I was actually a little bit shocked as well. And I think I did feel like, what? And I was also just kind of like, Irish? <laughs> like, I'd never, it, that had never even occurred to me. I mean, I love Irish people, but like, I'd never connected with that at all. So, yeah, now I kind of do need to question my identity. And it's like, where are all of my ancestors from? It's a whole new story and chapter for me. I really want to learn more about it. Do you feel a lot of connection to these different cultures that you're, well, different ethnicities that you're part of? I have never felt a connection with Ireland, like personally, I've never felt that. And that's what I was kind of going to ask you, because you grew up knowing Mm -hmm. your heritage and being able to see that. Do you think it's something that, you know, it's brought up within you? Or do you think like, if I go to Ireland, I'm going to feel something amazing? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I have friends who are Japanese American, and they go to Japan for the first time. And they like, they were like, oh my gosh, I felt no connection to Japan. It's just so different. Whoa. So I'm just I'm just curious if I would find a connection or if it would just be I would just be lost or um well it's clear <laughs> that you have this kind of connection between the organic, you know, side of your heritage and then obviously the more modern side of technological. So I wonder how much of that Mm. influenced your balance, you know, like, how did you find that balance between heritage and then also embracing, you know, the more modern world? 
I grew up just exploring the world as I saw it. And I guess I learned so much from the internet. Didn't we, didn't we all learn so much so from much. the, the vast, you know, abyss of the internet? <laughs> um, but yeah. But you know, you're younger than me. The way you grew up is totally different to the way I grew up, I think, because I didn't have my first computer till I was like 12 or 13. Mm, I see. Yeah. I, I guess um, I grew up just with the computer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just just with it. It would just be there, the box of magic. I think the people who have started growing up online are different. Like, my childhood was not spent at home on my computer at all. Like, I was outside. I was with my friends. I was playing with chalk in the street. And I know kids still do that kind of stuff, but they also have that other aspect. I think work has had such a huge influence on my identity. I actually always say that if I didn't get into YouTube, I don't know who I would be. I really found myself online, and I know that sounds kind of weird, but I became the person that I am because of all of the online influences. The internet has its own culture. It's like its own beast almost. Yeah, and totally. I, so I, yeah, I grew up being very internet, as they say. It's really interesting. And I think that the internet and even things like, you know, other types of computer programs, and I know you're kind of into gaming, like that can really shape your identity, don't you think? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I definitely take a lot of my identity from certain video games and um, reading comics and playing Final Fantasy what? or Kingdom Hearts. Oh my and, god. Yeah, those those were my faves. And then I would also cosplay sometimes, which was interesting, and wow. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to do that, feel free to do that. It's totally cool. <laughs> right. Totally cool. <laughs> um, so you spend a lot of time on the computer by the sounds of things. Do you have siblings? I do. I have a baby brother. He's four. So I was raised an only child. I was the weird only child. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to just talk about being an only child because when you're in your own experience, it just feels so normal and natural. So when I was an only child, I'd always ask my friends with siblings, like, just what is that connection like? Yeah, and I think like siblings, like having siblings or not having siblings, that can totally change your identity because for me, it was just me and my brother. So I grew up doing like a lot of things with him and his friends. And then I have friends who have like five brothers and sisters and they are like not very good at sharing their food. And, like, so let's just think of the nature versus nurture argument here. I am totally a product of my upbringing and everything that means something to me and why I feel the way I am and how I identify is all because of the way I've been brought up and my environment and my surroundings and what I've been told. Family is such a huge part in molding who you become. Both of my parents have influenced me in so many ways. My dad is a real outdoorsman. Now, I'm not an outdoorsy person myself, but I can totally appreciate it. And I think he's taught me that sometimes you got to get a little dirt under your fingernails. But also, they taught me who I shouldn't be. I was always so concerned about never being a wuss or a crybaby. I still to this day, like, don't cry if I get 
physically injured because I'm just, that's so like in me to just like get on with it. And like, I grew up around my brother and lots of boys. And I don't know, I feel like my dad just like always treated me like a bit of a tomboy. I know you describe yourself as a storyteller and even the way you speak, you are like telling a story with every sentence, which is quite beautiful to listen to. <laughs> How was that form, do you think, telling the stories? Um, I think I, well, my dad, like he also tells stories for a living. Like he's, a, he's an educator and also a performer of Native song and dance, traditional Native song and dance. And he does a lot of work with like history and teaching and lecturing. And so I always grew up with hearing him speak and how he speaks. And I don't know, I think that um, it's hard to say where that kind of starts, but it wasn't really natural to me at first because I was always very like I, I could never get up in front of a bunch of people and just talk. So <laughs> I just feel comfortable telling the stories that I know. Well, I think you'll be comfortable talking about the next subject, which is your film, Smoke That Travels. What keeps you up at night? For me, it's many things. But I probably share the same worries as you do about the future and the uncertainty of the path. From the minute you start watching Kayla's film, you're going to be absolutely hooked. I mean, visually, it is stunning. But more important than that, there's meat to it. Like, the story really tells something real. And you can tell she's very, very connected to it. So how do you become Native? What does it mean? Does it mean having long hair? Does it mean how many feathers I can put in my head? Today, most society and Americans believe that that's what it means to be Native now. But that's really not the truth. The truth goes back to you as a human being and how our people long ago looked at the world and how they centered themselves. Being native was being one with earth. When I watched it, I was just amazed. And I found myself wondering what it was like to grow up in her shoes. Smoke That Travels is a short documentary about um, that invites you into this world of uh, my thoughts growing up with my fears of my native heritage being forgotten. And um, it's my exploration of trying to hold on to my heritage and uh, the dances and the songs and the colors. That's just the world that I invite everyone into to learn a bit more about the histories and the fact that there used to be thousands and thousands of tribes in the United States alone. And now there are only 567 federally recognized tribes. And, you know, how do you deal with these hard facts that a culture was intentionally trying to be pushed down? How do you mediate that? How do you navigate that as a young person growing up? Um, so that's a bit what I talk about in the film. A very, very personal project that I started when I was 17 years old and I finished when I was 19. Something that I just, I just, I shot it, edited it and just made the music for it on my own just because I just, out of necessity, because it was so personal to me that I felt almost afraid to bring more people into it <laughs> during the production of it. I just felt like I just wanted to be kind of just really insular with that personal project. The whole experience of it, just I really cherish a lot. 
the film, I still get nervous whenever I show it in front of people because it's so personal. Well, But, yeah, um, I think yeah. it just goes to show that that really came from deep within you, you mm -hmm. know? I also want to know, where did the name Smoke That Travels come from? Yeah, um, Smoke That Travels is the meaning of my father's last name. So my father's last name is Whiskige Amayuk, which means smoke that travels. And smoke that travels refers to in a pipe, when you smoke a pipe uh, during a ceremony, you know, traditionally, all of your thoughts and your prayers are supposed to mix with the smoke as you inhale it. And as you breathe out the smoke, it contains all of those thoughts and those prayers as the smoke travels across the land and travels up into the sky. And the sky, you know, the realm of the creator and... um That's what it refers to. That's the like the uh, the lore or the the meaning behind it, almost like the legend of it. The people you choose to spend your time with will, whether you like it or not, change who you are. When I think back to eight years ago when I met my boyfriend, we were totally different people. And in the past eight years, we've changed so much. Time has changed us so much. But more than that, we have changed each other. Even the people that you hate are with you. They never leave you. They're like a monkey on your back. I will never forget that dude, Billy, who ripped me off and stole all of my rent money. That's a long story for another day, but I hate the name Billy now. Do you think that romantic relationships can help form an identity or change an identity? I feel like, I mean, there's so many different forms of love and it's so important to surround yourself with people who just love you for who you are. And also it's such a vulnerable thing to be in a relationship with someone who sees all these different sides of you that you're not used to sharing with other people and It's almost like even a mentorship almost, like you learn so much from each other. Mm. I think that just relationships and surrounding yourself with people who can accept so many different sides of your identity and who you are, that's just so important for someone who could also understand that when you're stressed and when you're grumpy, it doesn't make you a grumpy person. It's just <laughs> you navigating your problems. and it's, it's all well and good to think about your heritage or your personality. But within that personality, we can't forget personal character flaws. <sighs> do you ever just sit around and think like, God, I hate when I do that, or I'm so annoying when I say that. And you beat yourself up and beat yourself up and beat yourself up. It happens to the best of us. We spend so much time picking apart our flaws. Then we try to accept our flaws. Then we try to change our flaws. There's a lot of life that goes on because or around your own flaws. I'm all for self-development, but some of those flaws are there for a reason and they're all there to make you who you are. So much more often than not, we don't want to show that vulnerable side to us. It's a scary thing, but it's so rewarding in the end. Not yeah. that I'm a love expert. <laughs> it sounds anything, like it. it. Sounds like. But you are. but I I I'm also in a relationship with with someone that I love very dearly, and they've taught me so much about Aww. myself that I didn't didn't even realize that it could be like that. But yeah, open communication in any relationships 
friendships. Yeah, uh, friendships, everything. Very important. You're from a generation where defining and identifying your sexuality is not really a necessity anymore in identifying yourself. You know, it's such it's such a fluid term now, which is totally different to the way I grew up. Is that something that you've embraced or do you think that you do kind of still need to define that part of you? Yeah, I mean, I'm I think that I'm still like in the figuring myself out stage, like just I guess that stage never ends in life, but yeah. um, so I am not able to like define in in a term what what I feel is. But I think one thing that I mentioned is um, that uh, it's so interesting how sometimes we feel safer to express who we are online rather than like we don't feel as safe to do that in the real world. Sometimes it just it's the whole question of what identity is in the digital age. Yeah, and, and and we haven't even talked about, like, your online persona identity. It's so weird. I mean, I feel like so many people who are online a lot, they have, like, these existential crises about, like, who am I really? Yeah, that's me every <laughs> and, other weekend. You know. All right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. It's been really interesting hearing all about who you are and your identity. Thank you oh, so, well, so much for having me. Oh, I've had fun. It's my pleasure. And I'm looking forward to seeing you. I hope you come to London someday. All right. I'm sending you virtual hugs. Oh, for now. me too. All right. See you soon. Bye. I think what surprised me most about speaking to Kayla you know, learning about her identity was how sort of well-adjusted she was about the whole thing. And she just seemed to really understand all of it. And she, I feel like she just really knew her place in all of it. And while she really was so thankful for all of the history, I feel like she also was really separate from that in herself. Like she knew what she wanted to do, how she wanted to be, and who she was, despite being, you know, quite young and everything. So I thought that, I think that was really surprising because I think if I was her, I'd be a lot more confused. I think I was just mostly surprised at how how she had really figured out who she was. And by that, I don't mean like she knows all the answers. I just mean she's open to figuring out who she is. And she's, I just don't think she's too stressed about it. Unlike Kayla, I feel like I have pretty much no idea who I am. Okay, that's not totally true. But I just, I don't feel lost. I have felt lost before. I don't feel lost anymore. I feel like I know myself. I know what makes me tick. I know my good qualities and I know my bad qualities. But as far as who I am, I don't think that I'm going to ever figure that out. I, you know, I talk a lot to my mom, as you all know by now. Um, and she's in her 50s and she's still figuring it out. So when I see that, I'm like, okay, I just need to accept that I'm never going to get this fully on lock. And I think that's quite um, a scary thing. But in a way, once you accept it, it's nice to know that your identity is kind of like changing all the time. And it's kind of exciting. You know, you don't have to be the same person for your whole life. So I quite like that. I quite like the idea of not being stuck. But I think that if you can take anything from this episode, it's that you don't have to decide. There are some things that, of course, are decided for you, like your heritage. But there's a lot of other things that you can 
kind of make up along the way. Look at me, I thought I was Native American. Nope, I'm Irish. This show was brought to you by the team at Radio Wolfgang. It was hosted by me, Estée Lalonde, and featured Kayla Briette. It was executive produced by Harry Watson. The assistant producer was Holly Aquilina. And the producer was Natalia Rodriguez. If you want to learn more about Kayla and her work, please go to kaylabriette.com. Although technically I'm the dick... Dick... Dick's on the mind. <laughs>